0: I've so enjoyed being with you this last week. Various settings, leaders, staff, meetings over the weekend. It's been a a huge joy to renew fellowship with you again. So God bless you very much. I do want to be a blessing to you in the Word this morning. You know, when uh, 2020 came around, it sounded so exciting, like 2020. Yeah, yeah, perfect vision, perfect year. I had a whole program lined up. And then came COVID, and the whole thing kind of collapsed. And I thought, what on earth do I do? And uh, I thought, God spoke to me and said, write a book about Moses. And uh, so I've been kind of living with Moses quite a bit over this last period. I wrote this book. I understand they all sold out over the weekend. It's on Amazon, God's Treasured Possession. And uh, it's written because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10... All these things happened to them. To whom? Well, to this people who were born in slavery and were delivered and led through a journey into an inheritance. And Paul says it's all written down as an example for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So it's solid history. It happened to them. These things happened to them. Well, it's written down It's just two million people, just like a small town or a sizable town, maybe. Just two million people, like a little miniature, but it's written for us. It's all for us, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Because, well, we live in a generation where people have thrown away the map and the compass, and we need to know how to live. We know how to live on our journey, as we sang from the outset of this meeting. He called us out of that grave into a glorious freedom, and we celebrate that, but we're going to meet on a journey, we're going to experience all kinds of things. And all that they went through, I've so enjoyed getting into this story and seeing the things that took place. Now the chapter I want to speak to you from is in Numbers chapter 10, which is a, a key chapter because this company of, they're kind of rabble of slaves. They've never owned anything. They've never sown seeds or made things grow. They've never been farmers. They're just slaves. You just build stuff. You just take the whip on your back, and that's all they've known. Uh, They've known no moral code. Just just do the stuff. Uh, And this nation is just full of idolatry, and they joined in the idolatry somewhat. And then came this amazing call from God, first of all to Moses (laughs) This is the extraordinary figure, this great hero of the Old Testament has an encounter with God uh, and God says, now go and get them. I've come down, to, I've seen their plight, I've heard their cry, I've come down to deliver them and I'm sending you. And Moses goes to get out this people. And as they come out, there's kind of a rabble. They're often complaining and moaning and how are we gonna cope? And, uh, and this is a key chapter because in Numbers 10, they begin to take shape. Now by the time Moses hands them over to Joshua, they march, and Moses says, "No." or Joshua says to them, "Don't even speak for seven times around Jericho, and they're a disciplined army, a disciplined army that takes Jericho. They move from a rabble of slaves to a disciplined army. That's something God's doing. When we get saved, I was a slave to all kinds of rubbish in my life. Boy, was I a slave in terrible need. God called me out. And most of us here can say, Yes, God called me out. And not just called out, it's not just an escape thing. You know, Hollywood doesn't really understand. They think it's just about, Oh, I'm free, I'm free. No, no, I'm going to make you into something. I'm going to take you into a land. I've got great plans for you. You've got global significance. You're a people. It's an amazing thing. Uh, And This is one of those turning chapters. I'm just going to read. I'm going to not read the whole chapter. I'm going to find verses here and there, right? So um, you'll just have to follow me if you want to. Uh, I'm going to read a few verses here and there from Numbers chapter 10. I'm reading verse 13 at first. Verse 13. So they moved out for the first time according to the commandment of the Lord through Moses, the standard of the camp of the sons of Judah according to their armies, set out first, with Nashon, the son of Abinadab, over its army. Verse 17. Then the tabernacle was taken down, and the sons of Jerson, the sons of Merari, who were carrying the tabernacle, set out. Verse 21. Then the Kohathites set out, carrying the holy objects, and the tabernacle was set up before their arrival. Verse 25. Then the standard of the camp of the sons of Dan, according to their armies, which formed the rear guard for all the camps set out, with Ahiezer the son of Amishadai, over its army. This was the order of the march of the sons of Israel. By their armies they set out. Then Moses said to Hobab, the son of Roel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, quite key on Father's Day, We're setting out to the place of which the Lord said, I'll give it to you. Come with us and we'll do you good. For the Lord has promised good concerning Israel. But he said to him, I'll not come, but rather I'll go to my own land and relatives. Then he said, please don't leave us inasmuch as you will know where we should camp in the wilderness. You will be as eyes for us So it will be, if you will go with us, that whatever good the Lord does for us, he'll do for you. Thus they set out from the mount of the Lord three days' journey, with the ark of the covenant of the Lord journeying in front of them, for the three days to seek out the resting place for them. The cloud of the Lord was over them by day when they set out from the camp. Then it came about, when the ark set out, that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered. Let those who hate you flee before you. When it came to rest, he said, return, O Lord, to the myriad thousands of Israel. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your great plan of salvation. We thank you for your promise that you'll give us the Holy Spirit to lead us into truth. So come, Holy Spirit. Rest upon us now. Be our teacher. We honour you, Lord. The one who's to lead us into truth. Come, Holy Spirit. Rest upon us. Lead us into truth, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to speak on that final request to Moses' father-in-law. Come with us. We will do you good. That's a kind of outrageous promise, really. It's kind of, look, if you're with us, you do well, which sounds kind of arrogant, but actually it's because they've got an amazing promise. The Lord, he said, has promised us good, and the good he'll do to us, he'll do to you. So if you're our guest this morning, this is a promise to you. Come with us. We're on a journey. It's not just come to us. It's nice that you've come to us, but we're going somewhere. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So the church, if properly understood, is a global phenomenon. It goes from nation to nation to nation. It started with a tiny little group of disciples with Jesus in that uh, upper room, if you like, when Jesus said, now he blew on them, said, receive the Spirit. When the Spirit comes, I send you, as the Father sent me. You're you're a sent community. The church has sent people. It's on a journey. It's taking good news to all the nations. And as we gather, we're going to be always reminded of that. We're a people on the move with God. And so this invitation isn't just come to us. It's come with us. See, people are so lost. They're meandering around. They don't know what life's about. What am I on the planet for? I don't know why I'm on the planet. I remember when I was a little, a young lad, a teenager, and I wasn't a Christian, I'd had no exposure to Christianity. I'd sometimes go down to the sea, because I lived by the coast, and I'd look out at the sea and I'd think, what am I on the planet for? I really did, I thought, what's life all about? I hadn't a clue what life's about. Why, why do I exist? I used to ask that question. And often people wonder what they're here for, and who they are and what they are. And here comes this wonderful invitation. Come with us because we know where we're going. We've got something from God that's excited us, motivated us. And so we get this invitation in this story. Here they are, this rabble that's now becoming a shaped up people. Different people are beginning to understand what their role is. Some carry the holy objects. Some uh, carry the tabernacle. Some are bringing out the rear. Different ones in different places and this power of God going over them. This incredible cloud of glory. This is a unique people on the planet. God's met them. They're on a journey together. And then they meet this guy. They meet uh, Moses' father-in-law and then they issue this invitation. Come with us. Come with us. Perhaps you'll hear that voice this morning. Come with us. What are you doing with your life? Why are you on the planet? Come with us. I think if someone asked me that, I might ask them a few questions, right? Someone said to me, come, come with us. I'd think, who are you? I think it's a valid question, don't you? Who are you? So how would Moses have answered that? Who are you? Well, I think the first thing he might say is this. We're children of Abraham. See, what happened in the, according to the Bible is this, that everybody was confused and lost and they're just worshipping. They cut down trees, they burn part of it, they make an idol of the other part and worship it. They're completely lost. And the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham and, and came to this pagan man and made him a promise. That's where the story starts in the Bible. God made him a promise and said, Look, believe me, Go with me, leave where you are, I'm gonna take you on a journey, and through your life, through your seed, your descendants, I will bless all the families of the earth. I wanna bless all the families, these confused people I've made in my image, made in my likeness, they've turned away from me, they've turned to darkness, I've not abandoned them, I've got plans for them. You're gonna have a seed, there's a family, then there will come one special seed. There will come one called Jesus of Nazareth. It's going to come through you. You are going to carry light for the world. You are the light of the world. You're, you're the people I've chosen. And he says this to a guy, and, and, and he believed God. That's a wonderful statement. He believed God. That's how it starts for us, beloved. You believe God, and suddenly things start changing. Abraham was the first one. He believed God. What did God say to him? He says, can you count the stars? He said, what? He said, so many will your children be through you I'm going to bless all the families of the earth and Abraham believed God. So who are we? We're children of that guy. That's what Moses could say. We're, we're part of that seed. We carry that message. We, we carry that. And yet God said to Abraham, for 400 years they'll be in slavery. They're going to be slaves for 400 years. They grew in that. God said, be fruitful, Multiply. They went down, it was Moses, uh, 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 sons of Abraham went down. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and they go down. Just a small family, really. But in that nation, they grow and grow and grow and grow until there's two million of them, slaves. And, and then Egypt begins to get worried. We've got this slave community, two million of them. we better kill their, their, their boys so the midwives are given instruction. If a boy is born, kill him. If we don't, because this is two million of them now. It's okay having slaves, but we've got to deal with this. And so, yeah, we're sons of Abraham, but we're also ones who've known God's mercy because there came a moment when God said, I'm going to judge Egypt. I'm going to judge this nation, this powerful, powerful nation that just says, I'll kill people, I'll destroy. Most powerful nation in the world at that time. And God said, I'm going to judge. And then there came that moment when God said to them, listen, all you Jewish people, this nation, you are to take a lamb. And you're to take, it's got to be perfect. It's got to be absolutely perfect. It mustn't be diseased. It's not a lamb you don't want. It's got to be a perfect lamb. Every household must take a lamb and kill the lamb and take the blood and put it outside the doorposts. And when I come in judgment throughout the nation, where I see the blood, I'll pass over that. And all this is speaking, but says, as Paul says, it's speaking into our generation, because in the New Testament, Jesus is our Passover. He is the lamb that took away our sins. So we identify with these people that they know that judgment's gonna sweep through the nation. God, judgment's gonna sweep through. But the night of that, instead of their home being affected, a lamb died in their place. A perfect lamb has to die for them and then they take the blood of that lamb and put it around their doorpost and they hide in the house. It wasn't for them to look up and say, well, I don't know, that blood doesn't do much for me. I still, feel, I still feel scared in this house. No, the blood's not for us to see. The blood is for God to see. And God says, when I see the blood, because God alone knows the value of the blood of the lamb. Only God knows its amazing value. And so they put the blood outside and they wait and, and judgment swept over the house. But in, own, in the homes where a lamb had died, no one else died. And that's speaking to us, beloved, because we know the lamb of God who was slain for our guilt, our shame, he's done it. He's taken away all our, all our sins. He's perfected for all time by one sacrifice. All who believe, hallelujah. So we know our sins are forgiven. Uh, who are you? Well, were people, we're people carrying a promise like Abraham was given. We're also people who've escaped judgment. Judgment's behind us. Blood's been shed in our place. Who are we? We're people who know we've been forgiven. It's incredible. Not because of anything we've done. Not that we're any better than anybody else. But the blood of a lamb died. The blood of the lamb was put outside and, I'm, and we're free. So who are we? Well, we're people who know, who know our sins are forgiven we're not trying to be religious we're not trying to be something special we understand blood has been shed so we're free hallelujah so that's, that's who we are come with us you can know that you can enjoy that and then I would say this that they were, they were not only forgiven but you get this huge event the famous event yeah their sins are forgiven God's with them and here we go we're going we're going oh wow there's the Red Sea. We're locked in. We can't go any further. That's the end of it. Oh, and, and here comes the Egyptian army. Oh, wow. I can imagine some of those slaves saying, oh, no, there's my master. Oh, I thought we were free. We're not free at all. There's the Red Sea. And then you get this amazing miracle. Moses holds out his staff and the sea opens. Wow. They go down into a kind of death and come up the other side. They go down into the sea and they get resurrected. They're brought out of a death into a resurrection because the Egyptian army, with its horses and chariots and weaponry, come against the slave communities who've got no weapons, no horses, no chariots. They're just slaves. And they're, well, we've had it, we've had it. No, no, we haven't had it. And look, here comes the army. They go down like lead, Moses sang. The sea closes over them, and actually, we're free. We really are free. And that's what we can say, because God takes that passage, and Moses takes, what Moses said, Paul takes hold of in the New Testament and says that that's what we are as Christians. We went down into a kind of a death and were raised to newness of life. And out of Egypt, God called his son. I've called him my son. Well, there's two million people Yeah, Somehow, they are collectively the son of God. God calls them his son. And for us in the New Testament, when we identify with Jesus, all those, I know that as a teenager, I thought, well, I know I'm a Christian, but I still feel like I'm a slave. There's all kinds of stuff in my life. I want to be free. And I suddenly understood, no, 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 the Bible says, if you've been crucified with Christ, you're free. If you've died, he that has died is freed from sin. You're out the other side. And the New Testament writes in this way that we are people who've been rescued from slavery into freedom, Hallelujah. We've been singing about it this morning. We, we, we rose up. We went, went free. We didn't all necessarily understand it at the beginning, which is so relevant to what we were saying about what happened in your history. That some people, no, you're free, but I didn't realize I was free. And it had to be kind of explained later. And that still hasn't happened to some Christians. Paul says in Romans 6, don't you know? He that has died is freed from sin. He's writing it to Christians, don't you know? Haven't you heard? You're still living as a slave? I thought the news would have got through to you by now. If you're in Christ, it's like you died with him and you've been raised with him. He's given you a new heart. You've been born again. You were born once, now you've been born again. Out of death, you come into a new life. It's a completely new life. If anyone's in Christ, it's a new creation. Something radical's happened. It's not you just got religious, had certain duties to do. God did a radical new thing in you. And sometimes we haven't quite heard that. We didn't know. What, you mean we're free? Yeah, we're free. And that's, we need to get into what the Bible says to us, particularly in Paul's writings in the epistles. No, don't you know? We're free, we're free. And so we don't have to be slaves to sin because now we're slaves to righteousness. God's done an amazing thing in us. So who are you? Well, we're carrying this promise. The blood of Jesus cleansed us. And now actually... Sin does not have dominion over us anymore. We've been set free from its power. All sorts of stuff that used to control me doesn't anymore because Jesus set us free. Not because of what I've done, but because when I was baptized, my old life died. We raised up. Oh, I'm a new creature in Christ. Hallelujah. That's who we are. Come with us. We found an extraordinary miracle. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Stuff that used to have power. That's wonderful. They hear testimonies of people saying, No, I was I was in this, I was in this, I couldn't help myself. I felt I was in slavery to it. Jesus set me free. That's the gospel. Jesus sets us free. That's the second, the next thing they could say. And then also they were invited to Sinai, Mount Sinai, where they met with God there's it, a lovely phrase in the book it's, in the story it says Moses brought them to meet God I thought wow <laughs> imagine that. would you like to meet God <laughs> I know for myself it reminded me when I was, I was at Bible college I, I met my wife Wendy and uh, I proposed marriage to her and I haven't I'd never met her parents she came from a different part of the country and her parents were sort of rather important Christian people and i Well, certainly wasn't from my background, and I'm going to meet the future in-laws. I'm going to go to meet my in-laws. See, it's funny, isn't it? I thought, what do I call them? Uh, What do I wear? I'm going to meet the in-laws. It's one thing meeting the in-laws. It's another thing meeting God. (laughs) (laughs) Moses brought them to meet God, and when Moses met God, it was a bush burning, which was pretty impressive. Because out of that came the voice of God and the call of God and the revelation of God. I am who I am. Wow. That's quite a thing for Moses to meet God. But now two million people have got to meet God. So Moses brought them to meet God. And they come to this mountain. And the mountain goes crazy. It's like light and thunder and lightning. And it says, two million people heard the voice of God. Imagine that. Two million people here. God speaking from heaven, and it says, and a trumpet which grew louder and louder, and they said, Moses, you go up and talk to him, because we're meeting God, and God makes incredible statements, he said, you're my children, I love you, I'm going to go with you, my presence will go with you, you're special, only you have I known, of all the peoples of the earth, my presence will go with you. I'll tell you what sort of people you need to be. I mean, it's an amazing thing. They spend some time at this mountain where they're, they're making an engagement with God. They make promises to God. God makes promises to them. It's like they're betrothed. It's like you're my bride. That's the way the Bible talks. We are in a unique relationship with God. That's what they could say. At one point, they get they're so bad as a people, they start make a golden calf, and God says, ah, this is bad news." And God says, no, I, 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 won't, I won't go with you because what, what are you doing? You promised me you wouldn't do that kind of stuff. And, and, and God says to Moses, okay, I promise you the land, you can have the land, and an angel will go with you, but I'm not coming with you. And Moses says, no, 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 no. And God says to Moses, these people, your people, whom you brought out, and Moses knows better than that. He comes back to God and says, no, your people, whom you brought out. And you get this man of prayer man of prayer saying no Lord you promised you said you if you don't come with us we're not going anywhere and it says this this is what makes your people distinct that you come with us we're not going anywhere without your presence beloved that is so important for the church to understand that we say if if you're I don't want to do church without Jesus presence I hate church without Jesus presence I love it when we're in the meeting and we to hear, uh, this morning when we were praying, um, her hands um, were covered with oil. What's that? Oh, it's the presence of God. What? Yeah, the presence of God. He's with us. God is with us in all kinds of ways. All kinds of ways. I've been in this country for about a month. I was up at Tacoma. We prayed for a lady. She got completely healed. stood up on the Sunday morning and said, my pain that I've had for 10 years... I couldn't pick up my babies, I was in such pain and we prayed for gone, hallelujah why, because God's with us beloved, it's God's not with us what's the point? Moses, no, your people, you promise you go with us and it's like, it's like God says to Moses, well done, well prayed <laughs> it's really, it's like you understand and said okay, I'll go with you because beloved, that's, that's what the church is It's the people who've met God, whose sins are forgiven. They've been freshly created and the presence of the Holy Spirit is with us. And if we do religion without Jesus, it's terrible stuff, it's boring. But when he's with us, wow, it's magnificent. And that's what these, who are you? Come with us, we'll do you good. Well, God's with us. God's with us, all sorts of things happen which are inexplicable apart from the fact that God's with us. God's with us. God does all sorts of things for us. We enjoy the presence of God. He's revealed himself to us and he's called us his special treasure. It's wonderful, dear friends, when you know in your heart God has spoken to you and you know yourself to be special to God. It's a wonderful privilege. So when you're praying in the morning and worshipping, you say, thank you, Lord. You said, I'm your special treasure. The greatest thing of all, O oh Lord, I see you delight in me. Do you do that? Sing to God. Now he is exalted to the highest place, king of the heavens, where one day I'll bow. I love just singing to Jesus and remembering I'm a special treasure. I do that every day, beloved, just to enjoy the wonder of it, the wonder of it. The wonder. He's there now in glory, king of the heavens, where one day I'll bow. The certainty of it. Come with us, you can have that. You can be part of that, the wonder of knowing God, knowing God's with us, enjoying him, embracing him, him embracing us, we walk with Jesus, we live with him. That's what they could say, we are with God, God is with us. I think my my next question, right, who are you? Well, this is who we are. We've got this promise of world significance. We've been rescued through shed blood. We've kind of been buried and raised the newness of life, and his presence is with us. That's who we are. Well, where are you going? Come with us. Well, where are you going? Well, it's interesting. When, When they came through the Red Sea, Moses sang a kind of prophetic song. He was so excited. That's what worship's about. It's a response to God. That's why we worship. God reveals himself, and we sing back to him. And the first song of worship in the Bible is Exodus chapter 15. Moses sings it, and then they all start singing it. It's a great song. And he sings, and it becomes prophetic. He starts seeing things. It's not like, you're free, run for it. There's a big world out there. No, no, God's got a plan for us. It says, and he starts seeing about it. He's going to take us into the land, into the mountain. He's going to have a sanctuary. Wow, he starts seeing things. He said, How do you know that's going to happen, Moses? They may all just run from him. No, it's going to happen. See, Moses doesn't say, perhaps this might. No, it's going to happen. He sings it prophetically. He's going to have this land. He's going to have this mountain. He's going to have this city. He's going to have this temple. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. Now, for us in the New Testament, for them, it was a specific piece of land at the end of the Mediterranean, just a small piece of land. I've been there. It's not very special, bit of land. But they're going into that land. But God says to Abraham, You're heir of the world, actually. Your heir of the world. But taking that land is kind of symbolic for this little this little example. See, this is written down for our instruction. It's an example. This little group is going to take this piece of land. We are told go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's where we've come to. We're going into the land. We're going into lands. I've heard while I'm with you here of churches in Thailand and churches in the north of Canada, because we're going on a journey. We're going into the land. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go, make disciples of all nations. That's where we're going. We're going into the land. We're going to this land and that land. It's a privilege to do that. Some of us will feel, I feel I need to go. You know, like a couple that said, we need to go back to Thailand. We're going to go and plant a church now. We're going with light. We're going with purpose. We're going with meaning. We're carrying the good news with us. We're going into the land. We're going to God's great purpose. You remember when they, when they, it's interesting, when they came to the promised land the first time, Moses took the two million, they came to the promised land, and Moses sent in 12 spies to see what was there, see how it was. And they came back and they said, whoa. They said, that the cities are walled up to heaven and there are giants in the land. We can't possibly take it. And and it's interesting, it says Moses listens to God, and God God says, how long will these people despise me? And I'm sure they would have said, but we're not despising God, It's like the cities, I mean, the cities are huge. And, And the giants, I mean, we're not despising you, Lord. God says, listen, you're despising me, because I said, go in. God takes unbelief personally. He takes unbelief personally. You are despising me because you're more impressed with these things than you are with my promises. We need to take that to ourselves, beloved. When we're facing challenges, God takes personally when we say, well, that looks tough. God says, take it. Let's be a people of faith. See, churches go on certain journeys. They hit challenges. They hit problems, setbacks. All sorts of things you face. And God's looking for yes, yes, yes. Yes, we're going to believe God. That's how the battle is won. Without faith, we're not going to win because there are genuine obstacles. I mean, these are real cities. These are big giants. God says, how long are they going to despise me? I can deal with giants. I can deal with cities. Ultimately, when they go in under Joshua, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. And I've seen so many situations, beloved. I'm a bit long in the tooth now. I've seen so many situations that looked totally impossible. And they said, no, we're going to do it. And we've done it. Walls have fallen. And it's interesting what God said when they, when they said, we can't get in. God says this, as surely as I live. And somebody said, well, whatever comes hap- next, whatever happens next is going to happen. Whatever he says next is going to happen. As surely as I live. It doesn't say you will go into the land. It says, as surely as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Going into the land was just a further step to all the earth being filled with his glory. Going into the land, in some senses, was was just the next step. It's not that the land's particularly significant. It's just the next step. Because God's eye is on all the families of the earth. That's where he's going and so they, they, they understand that we're going into the land and then Moses spoke not only of the land but he also spoke about the city God's going to give us a city what's the city? well it, it becomes famous at first it's Jerusalem again it's all actually happened to them it's a physical city Jerusalem where a kingdom is established they never had a king before there's just 12 tribes then David comes David, this amazing person who's anointed with the Holy Spirit and becomes so key, gets incredible promises from God that on his throne one will come, the son of David. He will sit on David's throne. And suddenly it becomes prophetic. It's not just this guy. He's speaking of a son of David till Jesus comes on the scene. And people shout up, son of David, have mercy on me. This Messiah, this anointed one, who will somehow be like David, will come on the scene. And so, yeah, we're going, we're going into a city that's going to have a king. We haven't had a king before. We're just tribes. Now we're going to have a king. and We're going to have a central city. and We're going to have a temple. These slaves are going to have a temple. And what's going to happen there? The glory of God will come. And we'll build this city around the presence of God. And so Zion, it, called, it gets called Zion. It's Jerusalem, but it gets called Zion. If you read the Psalms, you'll find that David kind of instructed Israel by giving them these Psalms to sing. And these Psalms, many of them about Zion, the joy of the whole earth. Uh, my feet are inside Zion. Uh, this, this city, that is, somehow God's delighted in it. God has chosen it. He says, why are all you other mountains jealous? Because the Lord's chosen this one. And it's all in poetic formation, but it's like saying, here's a special place. It's it's Zion, the city of God. Then in the New Testament, it says, when you become a Christian, you've come to Zion. You've arrived. You've come into the presence of God. You've come into a place where God dwells. It's speaking of the church. It's coming to a people who live in his presence who are together in his presence, who enjoy being with him. So here it was a physical city, but when the church is born, there's another city being born on the earth. Another city. It's interesting. Somebody said the Bible's the tale of two cities. Famous Dickens story, tale of two cities. Runs from Genesis to Revelation. Two cities. Babylon, that great city, comes out in Genesis. That great city doesn't need God. Don't need God, we're not interested in God. It's a great city full of itself. That happens just before God calls Abraham. The city of Babylon. And then you'll find Jerusalem, that other city. And, and you come right to the end of the Bible. In my readings at the moment, I'm just coming to the end. I'm just coming to the end of Revelation in my Murray McShane Bible readings. And uh, it says... Babylon, that great city, has fallen. It's gone. And a new city coming down out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. The holy city. You see, there's Babylon, the world city. It's very powerful. That great city. And then there's this holy city. And and the scripture talks about multitudes in the valley of decision. I wonder which city you're living for. I wonder where your feet are. Are your feet inside Jerusalem, Zion? We're going to build a city. That's what we're doing here. We're not just coming to church on Sundays. We're aiming to build a city, a people. People honour fathers. Because, hey, fathers. And even the daughter who's away says, oh, I'm thinking of that father. Because we're building a family. We're building a city. We're building people together. That's the church, beloved, built together. We don't just come to this building once a week. This is about the early church, they were together. You see it again and again. The book of Acts, chapter 2, 3, 4, they were together. They were together. They were together from house to house. They were together at the temple. They were together. Day by day, they kind of went out into the world, but they were together. Sadly, today, we kind of live in the world in its culture and we go to church a bit sometimes it's a very different thing to be in the city to feel that i belong here i know the father's here i know the mother's here i see a camp we're all going to we're we're a people we're people we gather to pray we're a people god's building a people our citizenship's in heaven from whence we're awaiting the Saviour. We'll change this frail body to be like his glorious body. It's a city that's going to go on forever. We're part of that, beloved. So all this that happened in miniature in Moses, it's going to happen to us. It's part, we're in this. We're, this is just a miniature. But it's all true for us. We're going into the land. We're going into a land of slaves, we're going to see them saved by ties, come up new, set them free, knit them together and build worshippers and Paul did that in city after city. He said, well, I'm going to go and do it in another city now. So he'd go somewhere else and talk about Jesus until people come out and save, get saved, get added. Come with us, come with us. They become part of it. Yeah, come into the land. We're going to take this land for Jesus. Come into this city. Come into this temple where the presence of God is, where the glory of God. We come in here and we start singing, we worship, and we thought, ah, God's here again. We especially feel that when we come together, not consumer Christianity. So I take a little bit here. I sometimes take a bit up there. You know, I'm the center of gravity. I pop in where I like. No, for the Christians of the early church, the people together was their center of gravity. I belong to this. This is who I am. That's why I come with us. Come with us. That's the invitation I'm giving to you this morning. Come with us. Come with us. We will do you good. He says this, whatever happens to us will happen to you. I love that. And incidentally, it doesn't say, um, when you come, just get on the end of the line somewhere. The line finishes about two million back, you know. Just join in somewhere. It doesn't say that. It says, whatever God's promised for us, will happen for you. One of my great privileges uh, as a pastor over years to see young men and women come in, they stumble their way in, just getting free from stuff and becoming new people and begin to find where they belong beginning to be part. so wonderful to watch it happen. And I'll just say one last thing here. I think I would say this if I was this guy being invited. Who are you? Where are you going? <laughs> you know, then what happens to someone who joins you? Wouldn't you? I'd ask that. If I, join, if I join you, what does that mean for me? Oh, get on the end of the line. No, it doesn't say that. Because at first he's reluctant remember the story I just read it to you Uh, no I won't thank you no please come with us why listen you can be eyes for us why well actually in the story because he knew the territory Now he doesn't become the cloud they're following the cloud it's not come and lead us God's leading us we're following the cloud of glory but when the cloud stops you know the territory you know where we can camp that's what he says you can be as eyes for us, you know the score. Beloved, when you join, you can be as eyes for us. Now, in the New Testament, it says a church has got many members. It's got hands and feet and eyes. It says, the ear can't say to the eyes, I have no need of you, or the hand to the foot. We need one another, and when you come in, you find, oh, I've got a gift, I've got a gift. This morning we heard about, hey, my hands I didn't know. Some, a gift, something was happening. And maybe somebody will come to the front and say, this is what the Lord says. Well, how do you know what the Lord told me? Because that, that is what the church is meant to be like. In the church there are many gifts. We spoke with the leaders yesterday about some of the listed gifts. We spent a whole morning talking about the various gifts in the church. Because we're not just a rabble. These were not just a the rabble, they're finding their place. They began to you know where they, where they stood in this growing army. Not just the come on rabble, no, 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 you guys do this, you guys do this, you carry the holy objects, you bring up the rear, and when you join us, well look, you, you can be eyes for us. In other words, when you come in, every one of us receives a special gift, and we employ it for one another. All kinds of gifts. The church is a, a many-membered body with every part working properly. In Ephesians chapter four, it says that's the goal. God wants us to come to great maturity and be so joined to one another, showing love and kindness and mercy and affection and finding, hey, you're gifted. We want to make room for that gift. I love seeing all the band up here. I guess when they joined, I don't know they necessarily thought, oh, I'll be on the band. I'll be singing. But they found, hey, this is the part I've got to play. Different ones got a part to play. And we find find who I am. It's one of the ways we find who we are in this body. Because we're not called to isolation. You cannot grow to maturity alone. The way the church is built, you grow to maturity with one another. And there are over 40 one another verses in the New Testament. When I got saved, I was added to a, a lovely Baptist church, super pastor, wonderful preacher, but I didn't know anybody. And we didn't build, we just said, get here next week. What for? Well, to hear this great preaching and to shake his hand as you go out. And he used to say, Don't forsake the gathering of yourself together. But he didn't complete the verse because it says, but encourage one another. And you see, when you come in, you meant to encourage one another, pray for one another, confess your faults to one another, admonish one another. How do you well, that's how you grow see I had difficulties it was so helpful I don't need a priest to go to a confessional but I can have a friend close enough to say yeah, I really struggle with this would you pray with me I'll build you up over 40 one another verses we weren't doing any of them so we turned up the next week it was great hearing the preacher but when you're building a family you begin to find oh that's what you are your eyes for us as I was leaving yesterday morning, one of the, your prophets among you came up to me and said, I've got a word for you, Terry. Hallelujah. What a blessing. What a blessing. I had a, letter, I had a text this morning from England. The guy said, I was just praying for you this morning. He doesn't even know I'm over here, I don't think. It wasn't in my home church. It's away somewhere. So I just felt this word for you. Thank you, Jesus. I love it. I love a church where people can be eyes for me. They see stuff for me. They say things. They, oh, the presence of God in his church, full of the Holy Spirit. These are not fun things. These are weapons for war. These are for my health, for my strength. So, why don't you come with us? Maybe your father who's come to Father's Day. Moses said to his father in law, Come with us. We'll do you good. What God's promised us, He promised you. You can come into this people. You can understand what the blood was shed for, you can understand the death and the resurrection. You can understand the journey come with us, we're on a great journey it's going to affect the whole world when the whole world is reached Jesus the King will come back again that is what's happening on planet earth today, that, there's all sorts of other stuff happening but the most important thing that's happening on planet earth today is the gospel, is going out to every tribe, every tongue, every nation then the end will come it's the most important thing happening on the planet Moses said, don't miss this Come with us. Father, thank you so much for the joy of fellowship here this morning. Thank you for dear friends to our right and our left. Father, I pray your mighty blessing on Southlands. Bless Alan and the eldership team. Let your power continually rest on this people. And I pray for many to feel, hey, I want to go with them. I want to go with them. Bless your word to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name.